One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is me undies. I love them so much, and Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some me undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of me undies lounge pants, and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of me undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. Hello, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Hi, Vanessa, Casper, and Ariana. Hello, Vanessa, Casper, and Ariana. Hi, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text team. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. I'm Casper Tech Kyle. And I'm Stephanie Palso. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, an Owl Post edition. Tweet to woo. <laughs> <laughs> that was an owl that was very happy that Stephanie is with us. <laughs> so we're lucky enough to be joined today by the wonderful Stephanie Paulsell, who you all know. She is a professor of the practice at Harvard Divinity School and is currently the interim minister at Harvard's Memorial Church. We brought you in today to talk to us about this idea of rereading texts. Mm. This is Casper's last owl post as a co-host of the podcast. And Matt Potts, one of your former students and now your colleague, is about to take up the helm with me. And Casper and I are going to end our run of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text with book one, chapter one. And so we want to hear from you, a professor and minister, about the gifts of rereading. Mm. I'm honored to be here on Casper's last owl post. I've been listening to the last couple of episodes, getting to the end of the book, and it's been such an amazing journey. And I'm really glad to be here to talk to you all toward the end of it. And I love that you and Casper's last episode will be the first chapter of the book. I think that that's a great way to end back at the beginning, because I feel like what you've been doing all along is teaching us how to reread. You know, when we do Lexio on a, one of the sentences from the chapter, we read it, and then we read it again, and then we read it again, and then we go a little deeper and we read it again. So you've been teaching us how to reread all along. And so to cycle back to the beginning of this book and to believe that there's still something there that you have maybe not found yet, I think is exactly what this podcast has been teaching us all along. I've often loved that image of the text being kind of like a river, right? You never step into the same river twice because because it's always moving and the text is always different because our lives are changing. And so we see new things in the text, in the characters, in the plot, even in the language. 
You've spent a lot of time with different texts. What is it for you that you find in rereading? Maybe most of the books that I've read in my life, I can't remember much about them, but I can remember how they made me feel. And sometimes I I go back to reread a book that made me feel a certain way when I was younger, and it doesn't make me feel that way anymore, and it's disappointing. Yes. <laughs> One of my experience, rereading experiences that was really powerful to me was when I was a kid, there was a new translation of the writings of the saint, St. Therese of Lisieux, who was a, she was a young woman when she died, like 24 years old. So she's, she left an autobiography. That's the autobiography of a very young woman. And she was often portrayed as this sort of childlike saint. And she advocated this little way to God where, you know, she would focus on like the little tiny things in her life where she would try to infuse love into them. And when I read that as a child, I just was so caught up in it and so in love with it and thought, I want to be a saint. I want to be like St. Therese of Lisieux. You know, I want to put love into everything I do. And then I didn't read that book again until I was in graduate school. And I was in, you know, class with all these Catholic nuns. They were like, oh, gosh, St. Therese of Lisieux. She's crammed down my throat in the convent. She's so sacred and I can't stand her. And when I read her, I thought, why did I love this? Why did I, why did I think this was so great? Then I read her again when I was Mm. here. I was maybe in my 40s. My husband and my daughter and I went out to this monastery in Massachusetts for the day. They had a bookstore, and I found this book, Story of a Soul. It made me feel something just to see it, so I bought it. I took it home and read it, and I was amazed by it because she was like, I want to be a priest and what I really want to do is uh. go be a priest in, you know, Vietnam. She had all these things she wanted to do. And the thing that amazed me the most was that at the end of her life, she writes about waking up, you know, in the middle of the night and she's coughed up blood and she realizes that she's dying. And at first she's very excited because she's going to go be with God. Then the next day she's like, I don't want to die. Mm-hmm. And she talks about how she lost the joy of her faith, but she kept trying to do what faith required, which was love up until the end. Mm-hmm. So I had this experience of reading her at these three times, once as a child, just falling in love with her, once as a graduate student thinking, oh, I'm too sophisticated for this. And then as a middle-aged person realizing that this young woman had huge, gigantic dreams and that she was brave at the end. Mm-hmm. I think the books that really can accompany us through our lives are the ones that we can keep going back to and finding something new in. As you said, Casper, it's not just because of the book. It's because of who we are, and we're different every time. And so these books say something different to us each time. I mean, I just think back through the years of this podcast, all that's happened all that you've spoken to, all that you've heard in this text because Trump was president or because children were being separated at the border or because we were in a pandemic suddenly. These books really accompanied us through history, our family's histories, our own histories. In part, it's the richness of the books and in part, it's the extraordinary times in which we're living. And in large part, you're just such extraordinary readers and you have faith that there's some, there's more there, that there's something more there. Maybe that's the thing that's most needed in a rereading practice is faith, that there's something more there. Mm. I'm wondering what you think about how we should go about rereading the text differently in light of the new information that we have about J.K. Rowling. Mm. This is something that we've heard from our community about. This is something that Matt, Ariana, and I have talked a lot about. I think it's the thing that I'm most anxious about rereading Mm. is that when Casper and I started this project five years ago, we were able to say, yes, these books aren't perfect, but no text is perfect. Yeah. And let's just separate art from the author. And people would ask us about J.K. Rowling and we'd be like, who? And now her legacy has sort of outsized her own books to some Mm. extent. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that as we reengage with the text. This is a perennial dilemma, I think, with reading, is Mm. that you find out things about the author that you really disagree with, or more than that, is really offensive to you. And you wonder how much that thing influences what they wrote. 
I used to teach a class when my daughter was younger, when I was reading a lot of children's literature, I used to teach a class on children's literature and religion. And we read C.S. Lewis's Narnia books. I remember a Jewish student in that class saying, I loved these Narnia books when I was a kid. And I had no idea he was trying to give me Christian theology. I'm furious. You know, somebody should have told me that. I'm, I, you know, how do we protect ourselves from these books? You know, how do we make sure we're not drawn into something we didn't ask to be drawn into? That's the risk of reading, I guess. But with J.K. Rowling, I guess I would say you should do what you're doing, which is to stay in really close touch with your community of readers. From my listening, it sounds to me like you've got a community of readers, including transgendered readers, who feel like these are my books now. These books have been part of my life. I think with them, I reread them, and it helps me think about my life. And I'm just not going to have J.K. Rowling and her thoughts about gender be a part of that. When I was coming along in graduate school, that was when a lot of theorists were being unmasked as having been Nazis in their earlier years. And that was the question, like, is this philosophy tainted by fascist ideas that we haven't noticed? I mean, I, I think you can't forget the context of who wrote it, what they care about. Hmm. Read as long as you think you can. I mean, one of the things that you have taught me is that as long as reading the books is giving you blessings, right? You're like engaged in sacred work. As long as it's getting you better at loving, you're engaged in sacred work. And I'm just keenly aware that my responsibility is to do the sacred reading, but also to take care of the listeners. Right. Absolutely. And I don't know, do I point out every difficult, tainted thing that I notice in the books? Or do I like let some slide? Right. I mean, it's just, it's the tension of every minister. My feeling about that is if you read it out loud, you have to talk about it. Mm. Yeah, that's what, exactly what I wanted to ask you, Stephanie, is the Gospel of John has a lot of anti-Semitism in it. And I've often wondered, is there a point when we would say no? I think that's something we all have to contend with, because if there isn't, then that's also a problem. <laughs> So I think in the case of the Gospel of John, there's historical context you can give. And there's also the way these texts sound in our day. These texts are not written at a time when there's a mythology about mm. Jews, you know, running institutions and running all the world. And and yet they speak into a world where there is that mythology, that very dangerous, insidious mythology, mm. and can sound like they're echoing it so so when that happens, we have to talk about it. Mm. I do think there are some texts that are not worthy of this kind of attention. Mm. I think for me, the Bible still is worthy of this kind of attention for sure. And I think Harry Potter, it's a question you'll have to talk about. I mean, I love that example because I think there are some texts that just can't be treated as sacred. And then there's also just an individual taste for it, which we've heard from some of our listeners who are like, I respect what you're doing. I just can't anymore. That's how I feel, right? Like about Michael Jackson. When we used to be out in the world, I would hear a Michael Jackson song come over like a, a speaker at a store. And I was like, I can't enjoy this music. All I think about are the things he did to those children. Mm -hmm. Right. The sound of those children is infinitely louder than the music. And so the, like, I can't dance to him anymore. And I feel like that to a large extent can be a personal question. There can be nuance in how you do that. But then it becomes about like, does it speak to you enough to be treated as sacred? And I think also, I mean, one of the things that gives me trust, Vanessa, is something, Stephanie, you taught us about whether a text is generative. I look at the way that our community has generated community and funds for justice causes and, you know, the mutual aid fund among, amongst other things. And I can't deny that. And so, Vanessa, I hope you know that I'm so excited that you're continuing with Matt and I'm going to be listening. And I'll be the first one on the phone if I think there's something you've missed. <laughs> <laughs> I think the generative business and the community dimension is exactly right. You know, I think about Augustine's rule of love, which is if you've got a passage of scripture and you've got two interpretations that are different from each other or three or four or 10 or 20, build up the love of God and love of neighbor. He said, you can't say any of them are really wrong. Hmm. And Teresa of Avila in her book, Interior Castle, which is about, you know, sort of going inside yourself and learning to pray and learning to move toward God. At the end of the book, she says, you know, you really can't be sure if you're loving God 
God's a mystery. You, you can't really be sure if you're really doing that or not. But you can always be quite sure if you are loving your neighbor or not. And mm. if you are not loving your neighbor, then you're doing this wrong. Oh, Teresa's got us on point. <laughs> Stephanie, I'm also wondering that one of the classes that made Casper and I closer friends was we both took your uh, Journey and Quest class. Mm. And one of the things that I want to be sure to do as we end this time with Casper, which has very much felt like a, a journey or quest <laughs> and are starting anew with Matt, you always talked about the integration of the end of the journey of the return home as like the most essential part of the journey. And so I'm wondering if you could just talk about how to end well. Yeah, I mean, that's an, an old um, anthropological structure for understanding how mm. journeys work, which is that there's a separation, there's a departure where you separate yourself from what you know and what's familiar and you head out into the liminal space of the journey itself, which is, you know, where all the interesting stuff happens, where you potentially can change, where you encounter people you wouldn't encounter at home, where you cultivate new relationships and where you learn that maybe the world could be different than it is at home. Like maybe we could organize ourselves differently. But then you go home and mm. how do you retain the transformations that you underwent on the journey when you're back in the familiar place? And that's, of course, the hardest part. I think we all have had experiences of, well, I think of our Virginia Woolf pilgrimage, Vanessa, you know, that was just one of the great weeks of my life. So then you go home and the people around you haven't been on your pilgrimage <laughs> um, and they want to hear about it once. You know, <laughs> um, and you have to figure out, you know, do you just keep talking about it over and over and annoying everybody, you know, or do is there some way to integrate this into your life, to fold it into your life, to have the transformations that you underwent be part of your ongoing life? Mm. I love so much that you're starting over, like that you and Casper are going to read that first chapter again, and that's going to be the last thing you do rather than having be the epilogue be the last thing you do, because it means that the journey continues, that you keep going. Casper, I mean, you're coming to the end of a journey. What do you hope to integrate into your life? Yeah, it's such a good question because the integration doesn't always happen. I mean, Stephanie, as you were talking, there's so many stories that I know of, you know, friends who maybe went on a retreat or had a transformative experience and, you know, they might come back to their workplace and their workplace just can't hold this newness that they have returned with. And so they leave their job or they return to a marriage, right? And the marriage can't sustain that newness. And so the marriage ends. So that the stakes for that integration are high. I'm glad to say that I'm not leaving my job or my marriage. So I should just clarify that. But, you know, Vanessa, the thing I'm really thinking about, it feels funny to say this, especially with Stephanie, you being like the most important professor in my divinity school experience. But I feel a confidence in myself as a spiritual facilitator, perhaps, that I don't think I've felt before. And I feel it because we've done it together. And I feel it because we've had great people to guide us and give us feedback and, and an incredible community that's that's helped us find our way. But it's amazing to have completed this journey over this amount of time. I was always teased at home for starting things that I didn't finish. So I, I feel like I've matured <laughs> in that sense of like, no, we have finished the journey and we brought all the materials back with us from the adventure that we left on. That feels very fulfilling. Yeah. And it feels so good that we wanted to continue with a new journey together. That, that's why we started The Real Question. And so I think in some ways, you know, if we're looking for generativity as a sign of health, here it is. We didn't want to stop. We've started our next journey together, even though you'll be also journeying with Ariana and Matt as, as you reread book one. So I feel very lucky. I feel very privileged to, to have done this together. How about you? I think the thing that the community has taught me is that like, I have to do my work. I have to be prepared. I have to do my research, but also that they will teach me. I just have much more faith in community. I just feel more comfortable being on the journey rather than feeling the need to try to facilitate it or lead it. Mm. I'm like, oh, I'm just on it <laughs> with everyone. Mm. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. 
Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by MeUndies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is me undies. I love them so much, and Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some me undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of me undies lounge pants, and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of Me Undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason... You can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. One thing I'm really grateful for, Stephanie, is I hope we've contributed to a different kind of conversation about rereading because it's often kind of maligned and made fun of, you know, as as something that's just about comfort or just about retreat from the world because we only want to go to what we know. And, and actually, one of the things I do think we've discovered or certainly I've discovered is that there can be newness in something that we already know because we're coming to it differently, maybe in a different group of people, different stage of life. And you can look out at the world and the books that are out there and say like, oh, I want to read everything. But in some ways, you might get more from reading the same thing a hundred times than a hundred different things once. It's making me think differently about how I want to read just for my own leisure, pleasure and learning to have a mix of rereading and new reading as a way of being a discerning reader. Absolutely. I mean, I think having some things that we reread means that we know those books really well in the sense of I know how to think with this book, like I've been thinking Mm. with this book. I know how that works. I think that transfers over into other kinds of reading we do, even if we don't read everything many, many times. I feel like having at least a few texts that you know how to think with and that are really hardwired into us, that helps us create, you know, our lifelong florilegium. Mm. It helps you hear how other texts stick to it, how other texts intersect with it. And that's where the generativity comes in, I think. I do think it matters which books we hardwire into us. Mm. It matters that they lead us toward love. Mm. I love that image of having certain texts like trees growing that are sticky. Right. They build our imaginative world. And that's what happens when someone says, I'm a Gryffindor. You know, it has all of this additional meaning and it makes sense of our life. That's what we get to choose when we choose what we're rereading is what is the map of our world that we want to live in? And that's a beautiful invitation. The texts that we read and reread, they're sticky for other texts, like other texts stick to them, but also our community does. Right. Mm -hmm. But the thing I've always liked about having some texts in common, even if you don't like them, is that you have something to talk about 
together. Even a book we all don't like, we can all talk about that, all the things that we don't like about it. Having that third thing in the middle of two people to create more of everything, this show has has really illustrated that in a thousand ways. And I'm an interim minister who's done this for two years. And I have to say the second year when those same texts started rolling around again, at first I thought, I've already preached on this. And I realized what I was finding difficult was I wanted all my sermons to be great. So if I had preached a sermon I really liked on whatever text, I just kind of wanted to let that stand for all time as my word on that text. And, <laughs> and what I had to learn, you know, of course, is that it's actually not about me. It's not about me feeling good about my sermon or other people liking it or any. It's not about that at all. It's about rereading. And it's about exactly what you said, Vanessa. It's about moving through these texts with a community in particular moments of history, each of which is different from the next, as our lives are changing, as we're aging, as we're falling in and out of love, as we're losing people we love. That's what it's about. It's not about creating a perfect sermon or a perfect reading that's going to stand for all time. It's about reading and rereading and rereading and rereading. Yeah. That seems like a good blessing to maybe end this conversation on of let these books speak to each moment. Mm. Mm. Thank you, Stephanie. I love you. And I really enjoyed that conversation. And I hope you'll let me come on your other mini podcasts that I'm sure you're going to have over the course of your lifetime. (laughs) Oh, we will. We're never going to stop asking you to work with us ever. Thanks to everyone who has sent in the names of their loved ones who have passed away from COVID. And as ever, we want to just take a moment to honor their memory. This week, we remember Edward Hoffman, who was 97, a great grandpa and storyteller. Maria Galvin, who was 87, was loved and missed. Millie Fix, who was 91, a mother, wife, and grandmother. Chunky Jarvis, who was 79, he lived for his mission. Enid Kane, who was 95, a grandmother of the Kane clan. And Alan Gautier, who was 55, lover of hats and humans. May their memories be a blessing. We said goodbye to Stephanie, and now Casper and I are going to listen to some voicemails. Our first voicemail is from Allie. Hello, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. My name is Allie, and I live in Brooklyn. I have been listening to your podcast for quite some time and just listened to the Sacking of Severus Snape episode. I know you were talking about how uh, at the Battle of Hogwarts, Molly pushed Fred aside thinking in hindsight, you know, when he's about to die, that she likely would regret that moment and have a lot of remorse for that. I'm currently rereading the Harry Potter books, and I'm rereading the Goblet of Fire right now, and I just got to the chapter Mayhem at the Ministry when just after the World Cup and the Dark Mark and Mrs. Weasley is waiting for them when they come home with the port key. This is after she has been screaming at them for starting with uh, Weasley's Wizard Wheezes and of the group when everyone is returning back, the twins are the first ones that she embraces. And I think that she realized, you know, what she had done. And while in the context of everything going on in normal life, it was what she needed to do to be a mother and try to instill her values in her children. But in the light of a larger catastrophe where she might have lost her children. She didn't want that to be the last interaction. Earlier this summer, I lost my father. Um, He passed away from an overdose and we were not on good terms at the time. We had a complicated relationship, but a couple of months prior, we got into a big fight and I stood up for my boundaries and I told him to speak to me when he was able to speak to me in a mature manner, in a way that wasn't um, as abusive as he was being. And that meant that for the last two months of his life, 
we really didn't speak. And that was something that I did as a way to continue forward and as a way to have him in my life. By inflicting those boundaries, I was able to have a relationship with him. But in the context of him dying two months later, I wish that I had spoken to him. I wish that I had reached out and offered an apology in the context of never being able to see that person again. Even when you have the best of intentions, it's still so hard. And I want to say a blessing for Mrs. Weasley because I know what that feeling of regret is and trying to think forward and think of the future that you want with this person and needing to give maybe some tough love at the time. But in the context of them being gone, it's very hard and blessings to her for that. Thank you for everything you all do. And I hope you stay well during all of this craziness in the world. Thanks again. Bye. Well, Ali, I'm so sorry, first of all, to hear about your father's passing and also about the really horrible circumstances. I hope you have some self-forgiveness because from what you've shared, I fully understand and appreciate everything you did. And as you said, you know, those were boundaries that you created so that you could have a relationship that was that was safe and that was appropriate. And I hope you know that Mrs. Weasley would have done exactly the same. I'm really grateful for your voicemail and my heart goes out to you. I hope you're doing all right. The other thing I'll say, Allie, is that if we lived as if each other were going to die all the time, we wouldn't have healthy relationships with anyone. Like there is this balance of wanting to keep in mind that our time on this earth is short and the people we love will die. And like if you're going to be in a 30 year relationship with someone, you need to tell them that hurts my feelings and I need you to not do that for the next 30 years. Mm hmm. I'm so sorry that it happened to you in such an acute way, but I don't want you to feel alone in the choice that you made. These are choices that we all have to make and tragedy struck that made your story with your father end there. But I hope you know that endings are not indicative of the rest of someone's time. Thank you so much for your voicemail. And I'm just really sorry for your loss. Our next voicemail is from Julianne, which is another voicemail about relationships with a father. Hi, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text team. I just wanted to call in because I was listening to your episode on reunion today, and it gave me some hope that I thought maybe I could share with others. Vanessa, you were talking about a romantic relationship um, in which an ex might not want to hurt the other person, and so they would walk away from the possibility of reunion with that person. Um, if the other person didn't want that reunion. And I was thinking of it in terms of my relationship with my father. Um, and actually it gave me a lot of hope because my dad hasn't reunited with me. Um, it's been many years and as a mother myself now, it's so hard for me to understand why it's hard for me to understand why he wouldn't try, um, to connect with me again after many years of, of hurt that he caused. Um, But you've given me hope that maybe he hasn't reunited with me because maybe he knows that it would hurt me right now. Maybe he's not in a healthy enough place to reunite with me safely and doesn't want to hurt me. He has my phone number. He knows how to contact me, but maybe he knows that reuniting with me at this point in his life would only cause me pain. So it gives me hope that maybe one day he will be in a place where we can reunite Um, because he chooses to get help. So I just wanted to offer a blessing to anyone else who might be waiting for someone to reunite with them. And may you continue to hold out hope that they will come back and that a relationship again may be possible. And if not, may you find family and love in other places. Thank you all so much for the podcast. And I'm so excited to go support you now in the new podcast. Can't wait to hear it. Julianne, one of the values of our organization is to assume good intentions. And due to, I think, completely valid reasons from my life, I am horrible at it. I'm really, really bad at it. And partially, I think it's because I don't always have good intentions. So I'm like, I would be doing this for bad reasons. This person probably is too. 
And our community has taught me so much about assuming good intentions because when I mess up, they almost always assume good intentions in me. And you are taking it just to another level of like mastery of this skill that I think is so important. Even when I have quote unquote bad intentions, under that is a good intention, right? Mm. I'm like feeling resentful, but I'm feeling resentful because I love the person and miss them. And so I, I think that you're probably right. I think that your dad does want to reach out to you and isn't for any number of reasons. And I just think there's so much wisdom in what you're saying. Thank you for teaching me how to live up to this value that I say that I have, but that I'm just still so bad at. And I feel like Juliana's really taught me something, which is that even if it's not true, it's better to live in a world with that read of the situation, not in a naive way, but in a way that sustains our own capacity to be hopeful and loving. That's some ninja level stuff. That kind of attitude is sustained when we have the outlook that Julianne's offering us here. And I'm so grateful for it. So thank you, Julianne. Our next voicemail is from Scott. Thank you all for your beautiful work. I want to give a shout out to my dear friend Maggie, who turned me on to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text way back in season one, and also took me to your last live show in San Francisco, which was just fabulous. My name is Scott, and I am a college English professor. Y'all have been leaning pretty heavily on Professor Dumbledore the last few episodes, and I get it, but speaking from my position, I hope you'll forgive me if I can't help identifying some with Dumbledore. Some years back, I flirted with moving into administration, and I did so long enough to realize that you could not pay me enough to be a provost or a dean, let alone headmaster or whatever the U.S. equivalent is. Well, what I saw was that those who were the best and most benevolent leaders pretty much hated their jobs. And I think that the reason was all just the instrumentalizing that they had to do to achieve what they took the jobs to achieve. It was really painful to see again and again. I saw people taking positions of power, not for the money or the chance to make a big difference, but from a sense of duty. They saw simply that they were the best person suited to do that job at that time. For myself, man, it is more than enough to be just, quote unquote, a professor. I think I'm a pretty ethical professor, but I fear that I instrumentalize my students regularly. Like when I invite students to present at a conference with me, I'm using them to help me buff up my CV, no doubt. Of course, you'll say the students are getting a line on their resume too, so don't be hard on yourself. But there is no possible way for me to be certain that everything I do as a professor is benevolent. Thinking most broadly, am I instrumentalizing my students by preparing them to compete in a capitalist economy that inherently exploits and dehumanizes? With all this in mind, I can't help but see Dumbledore as as much tragedy as villainy, a kind of parable of the inevitable consequences of achieving all that stuff that Dumbledore achieves, you know, all that knowledge and wisdom and ability, all that stuff that a lot of us spend our lives trying to attain. So I offer him my blessing. What a horrible place to be in, to, to be that one person who knows how to take down Voldemort and feels trapped and fated to marionette everyone around him. The real question, I guess, is, is he wrong to see no better or more ethical way to achieve his goal? Does he have more choice than he thinks he has? I would absolutely love to hear your thoughts. Whatever conclusion we come to, we have to acknowledge that. Well, he succeeds, and most readers admire him for it. So I fear that we only notice and reject instrumentalizing when it's done by people we object to. And I fear that we may be trapped in an ugly means versus ends dialectic. Please help. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thank you so much. Scott, I love that you're bringing some academic dialectical thinking into our conversation. You know, I think one of the reasons why we've been maybe more critical of Dumbledore is because we've loved him so much. And I think, you know, just following the conversation with Stephanie about rereading, certainly for me, like one of the newer things that really came out for me on, on this particular reading of the books was seeing Dumbledore in the whole arc as someone who was maybe more conniving and, and, and you know, using Harry in a way that I hadn't previously seen because I previously read it in this kind of naive and beautiful way. 
So let me say that first of all, it's definitely not a blanket like cancellation of Dumbledore. Like I, I love the man and his fabulous boots. And I also really take on board, you know, something that Vanessa and I have talked about a lot, which is like the extra pressures of responsibility when there are no good decisions. It's bad A or bad B and you have to choose because if you don't, it's bad C and bad C is even worse than bad A and B. And so I, I do not take lightly the responsibility that he has. And frankly, I have chosen, like you, to step away from roles like that because I don't want to be in that position. And maybe that's something I need to look more closely at in myself. But luckily for me, I'm not the greatest wizard of my generation. <laughs> so I get off a little easier. <laughs> yeah, Scott, the thing I disagree in what you said is that we only judge instrumentalizing when it's done by people who we have problems with. Hmm. I think it's really important for us to point out when the people we love are instrumentalizing each other. And I remember having a fight with a boyfriend when I was 19 years old. He was playing pool at a bar and he asked me to hold his beer. Hmm. And I was like, no, there are tables. And that was just a power play in front of other people that you're like here with a girl who will hold your beer for you. I still loved him and I still thought he was like a good person. I just thought he was being a jerk in that one moment. And so I just love the way that you talked about it, Casper, that when we hold people to account, it can be very much because we love them. I agree that Dumbledore is in a really difficult position. And I think that I hold him to a higher standard because I want better for him. Absolutely. I'm also suddenly having a thought, Vanessa, which is that if Dumbledore was in this conversation, he would be holding himself to that high standard too. I think so. I hope so. So yeah. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Uh, next voicemail is from an anonymous listener. Hi, Vanessa, Casper, and Ariana. I'm sending in this voicemail in response to the episode on Book 7, Chapter 32, entitled Contentment. I'd like to thank Vanessa in particular for her insistent witnessing of people who live with post-traumatic stress. You helped me realize something about my own experience I've never been able to put into words. For the past eight years, I've lived with post-traumatic stress disorder. I'm a lot better now than I was, and I've been able to experience joy and elation, but I've never once felt the peaceful happiness of contentment. Something deep within me remains permanently unsettled and permanently vigilant. 
This is also why the way that book seven ends with the words, always well, doesn't ring true to me. Basically, all of the characters that survive are war veterans, and some of them have even survived war crimes, like Hermione, who's tortured. So while it's pleasant to imagine that they'd be content and settled years later, I just can't buy it. I think Harry will always have nightmares about Cedric. I think George will feel Fred's absence every day, like the phantom pain of a missing limb. There are some experiences that resist any meaning we try to assign to them. But even though trauma has marked him from the very beginning of his life, Harry remains holy, and I take hope in that. And so I'd like to offer a blessing to anyone suffering with post-traumatic stress, especially if you're a combat veteran or a civilian who has survived war. I pray that wherever you are, you're able to find support And I hope you know that you don't have to be whole to do good in the world. The world needs you. Thanks. Thank you so much for that voicemail. And I want to join you in celebrating Vanessa in, in helping point us to those moments in the text. I'm really struck that that you said that Harry will always remember Cedric's death. I think that's so true. I, I don't have experience of PTSD in, in this way, but from what I understand, the specificity of memories, I can absolutely understand why you're pointing us to that moment. So I really appreciate what you're sharing with us and, and helping us see this theme again, not just in book five, which is the moment where we often look for it, but really throughout the text. I think that often when something horrific happens to us, we can start to see ourselves as damaged. And so I love you reminding us that, right, like Harry is holy and you are holy. These things hurt us, but they don't damage us. We are still whole. Mm. I know I've said this before, but I always think of that quote from John O'Donohue of this idea that there is a place within us that has never been wounded, that, that there's something beyond the grasp of those memories. Which, which we might not always be conscious of, but just to know that it's there. I love that. Yeah, we might not always be able to hear it or see it or access it, but it's there. Our last voicemail is from Melissa. Hello, Vanessa, Casper, and Ariana. My name is Melissa Adams, and I'm about a half a book behind y'all at this point. I started listening to this podcast last summer per the suggestion, uh, insistence of my friend and colleague, Zeke. Thank you, Zeke. Um, I've actually been listening to the podcast and uh, listening to the audiobooks in German. So your 30 second recaps have been very helpful. Thank you. It's really a very interesting experience, essentially living in a different timeline as you, as I listen to these podcasts. I remember very specifically, you read a passage in honor of the victims of the Pulse nightclub shooting, which in my timeline had happened a while back, but in your timeline was recent. And it was the passage where Dumbledore was talking about the loss of Cedric. And I remember so clearly standing at my bike and I started to cry because that experience of listening to that passage really ripped off that scab for me. I am currently at book six, chapter 16, A Sluggish Memory. And the Florilegia in today's episode was, the ministry had arranged this one-off connection. They are too terrified. In my timeline, I have been isolated with my spouse and my newborn daughter since a few weeks after her birth in mid-February. And I see these divisions, like the ones you explored in that Florilegia, I see them playing out in my social media feed right now. One side wants to open up all of commerce. One side wants to defend the first responders and essential workers and people whose lives are on the line. So I would like to give two blessings. Number one, to anyone who is behind in listening to the podcast and for whom these episodes discussions of the COVID outbreak is actually a time capsule that reintroduces that trauma, a blessing to you and a blessing to all of us that we can strive to be connected in community and to be strong in both our offering whatever help we can to those who need it because so many people need it. So many more people need it than ever have before. And Whatever kind of help you need, there is help. Please seek help. We all need it every once in a while. Blessings to all. 
Melissa, thank you so much for that voicemail. I think an anxiety that a lot of people have right now is we're ending the books and they want to be there with us. Mm. I just want to say like all timelines are the right timelines. We just had this conversation with Stephanie about rereading and how like different things can speak to you at different times. So even though I know that Casper and I are sometimes talking about something specifically like a current event that is currently happening. I hope that everybody feels invited to make what meaning they can of those episodes and from the readings that they can in the moment that they're listening and that that listening experience is just as valid as listening in quote unquote real time. Absolutely. And I remember when we finished season one, you know, with book one, there were already people who started to re-listen to that first season straight after we'd finished it. And so there's so many great ways to listen to this podcast, just like there are so many different wonderful ways to, to read the books. I know this has been a conversation in the Facebook common room as well. So please know that I bless and affirm whatever timeline you're on and don't worry about a thing. I'm just so grateful that that you're traveling with us through the books and hope very much that when you come to an end, you'll start again with, with Vanessa and Matt and also check out the real question <laughs> <laughs> where Vanessa and I get to continue our conversations as well. You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and you can find listeners who are discussing the episodes in the Facebook common room. Join our local groups and come join the community of people who are supporting us on Patreon. You can leave us a review on iTunes and send us a voicemail. And don't forget to check out our new podcast, The Real Question. Next week, we're doing a whole series wrap up of all seven books. I can't wait for that 30 second recap. We are a Not Sorry production. Our executive producer is the incomparable Ariana Nettleman. We're edited this week by Juliana Bradley. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Boll, and we're distributed by Acast. Thank you to Ali, to Julianne, to Scott, to Anonymous, and to Melissa for this week's voicemails. To Molly Baxter, Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Megan Kelly, everyone who sent in their names of their loved ones who passed away from COVID, and the absolutely wonderfully marvelous, perfect Stephanie Pulsar. She is perfect. <laughs> Bye, everyone. We'll talk to you next week. One more thing before we really start recording. I got this text from Julia this morning that I feel like everyone on this phone will love, on this call will love. I had a dream last night that we were both pretty tired at recording and we're trying to convince Ariana that we should record a segment where we napped for 20 minutes and then reported back on our dreams and premonitions. I wrote back, she wouldn't let us though. And Julia wrote, yeah, she didn't let us in the dream either. <laughs> So that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs>